Welcome to the Church 214 podcast. We're glad that you've joined us today. We hope that you enjoy today's message. And if you'd like to find out more about our church, please visit our website at church214.org. This is Psalm 34. I will praise the Lord at all times. I will constantly speak his praises. I will boast only in the Lord. Let all who are helpless take heart. Is there any here in here who feel helpless today? God says, take heart. Come, let us tell of the Lord's greatness. Let us exalt his name together. I prayed to the Lord and he answered me. He freed me from all of my fears. Those who look to him for help will be radiant with joy. No shadow of shame will darken their faces. In my desperation, I prayed and the Lord listened. He saved me from all my troubles. For the angel of the Lord is a guard. He surrounds and defends all who fear him. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, the joys of those who take refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you his godly people. For those who fear him will have all that they need. Even strong young lions sometimes go hungry, but those who trust in the Lord will lack no good thing. Can we give a shout to the Lord right now? Come on, let's give him a shout of praise. Thank you that you have taken our fear. Thank you that we can have the joy of the Lord in our lives, that we don't have to fear anything, that we lack nothing that your promises are yes and amen. You are the rock on which we stand and we do not stand on sinking ground. Father, we worship you and we thank you for your presence in this place. I commit my words to you right now, Lord Jesus. May they pierce the hearts of the people in here. May we walk out of these doors differently than we walked in because we walk out in the joy of the Lord. We walk out in the freedom of the Lord. We love you, Jesus, and we pray all of these things. And as one church all together, everyone said, amen. amen. You can take your seats. Whew. There's something about God's word that is real good. Real good. All that shouting during worship and, whew, okay. Um, that close to the last verse of that chapter says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, the joys of those who take refuge in him. We're going to talk about that today. We're going to talk about tasting and seeing that the Lord is good. I know there's some people in here that are a little bit newer to our church, so I'm going to take just a moment to introduce myself. My name is Heather, and I am married to the very good-looking man on the front row named Chris Taves. Yeah. And we have two children. We have Bennett and Juliet, and uh, we were part of the group of people who eight years ago on November 20th, who can believe it's been eight years, right? Crazy. Phil, does it feel like it's been 80 years? 
Yes. <laughs> Eight years ago, we were part of the group of people that obeyed the voice of the Lord and started this church. And I'll never forget sitting in a living room and looking around at 12 or 14 people. I can't remember if we were all there at that moment, but we said, we have to obey. And it might only just be the few of us, but even if it's only ever just the few of us, we have to obey. And God was so faithful to bring so many more because the body of Christ is not just a few, it's many. And here we are eight years later, and it's been the best and the hardest eight years of our lives. Um, I have the joy and privilege of leading our teaching team. And if you're a little bit newer here and you're like, why is there someone new on stage every single week? Well, that's because we have a teaching team. And the teaching team is responsible for the preaching, the teaching, and the communication of God's word. And so we take turns. And I have the joy of leading that team. It's a group of 15 people. And let me tell you what. They love the Lord, they love the word of the Lord, and they sacrifice a lot to be able to stand up here each week and communicate what the Lord has put on them, has given them. And if you've ever spoken in public before, you know that it's like, it's kind of scary, right? Like it's a lot of people are terrified to speak in public. Now imagine that you're responsible for not only speaking in public, for, but for communicating clearly the word of the Lord. It is heavy. It can be very heavy. So I hope that you take time to really value and appreciate what a gift we have here. That we have people who are willing to sacrifice, sacrifice time with their families, sacrifice hobbies, sacrifice sleep to be able to get a word and then communicate it clearly to all of us on Sundays. It is a gift, and I will never stop reminding all of us of that. So more recently, we added a new team to our ministry structure, and I want to explain a little bit what that team is, because I think it's important that you as a church understand the way that we're receiving words from the Lord and how we're bringing them to all of us. So uh, probably about a year ago, Chris and I especially felt that our church was starting to grow up a little bit. You know, if you've had children, you know there's all these different stages, right? There's infant, and then there's toddler, and then preschool, and then middle school, and, and then high school, and then um, college, and then they're adults, and there's every stage looks a little bit different, right? And, and you kind of have to shift a little bit with each season of raising your children. So that's how we felt about the church. We're like, we're growing up a little bit. Like we've, we've done a lot of really good things, but the Lord is calling us higher. He's calling us to more. He's saying, I have more responsibility to give you and for you to, to impartake to the church. And so we went away for a weekend and we just asked the Lord, what does this look like? And within 20 minutes, the Lord, and I'm not exaggerating that, we had gone to a hotel, we were sitting up at the bar and the Lord downloaded what the next part of the vision of this church was supposed to look like to us. And Chris was, when he gets a word from the Lord, it's so awesome because he just goes into like beast mode and uh, he's got his phone and he's just, and I'm like, can you, can you tell, and I'm, I'm giving him some things and he'd give me like one word and I'm like, okay, can you tell me all of it now? And so it was just really cool because the Lord so clearly lined this up. 
And what came from that was we created a vision team. So our teaching team is responsible for crafting the series ideas that you see of that pop up here on the screen. Holly does all of our logos and Holly, they're awesome. Um, but our teaching team puts all those together. And we felt like the Lord wanted us to be a little bit more specific. So the role of the vision team is to press in and listen to what the Holy Spirit is leading for us to say to the church, to all of you in a certain season. So for six months, the vision team will pray, they'll listen, they'll, they'll hear what you're talking about, hear what you're struggling about, say, Lord, what do you want to say to your church right now in this season? And then once every six months, that vision team comes together and we create an overarching theme for the next six months of the church. And then the teaching team takes that overarching theme and they put together all of the messages that come from it. Now, this vision team is made up of eight people. And we got the concept from Ephesians 5 and the fivefold ministry. The fivefold ministry can, consists of gifts in the church. So that would be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And then we have two really cool guys on this team that are, we call them our warriors. They're our intercessor warriors. And just like Joshua sent spies out into the land, Joshua said, we're about to take this land, but we, we got to know what's out there. So go into the land, search it out, and tell us what we're up against. So these two guys, their role is to just intercess and ask the Lord, what do the people need to hear? What are they saying right now? What are the struggles? What do you want to speak to the church? And then we all come together and we build this theme. We've had two of these vision team meetings, and the first time, it was, it was really awesome. We all came, and we, we all had what the, we felt like the Lord had, had given us to say, and, and it all kind of lined up, and we we're like, wow, that's amazing. And then we had another one last week, and can I just tell you, we had not spoken to each other about this leading up to this meeting. Can I just tell you that the Lord blows my mind all the time? As we started going around sharing, we just started laughing because of the way he had spoken the same things to all of us. In fact, Heidi wasn't able to be there because they were out of town and she had created a video and we saved the video for the very end and at the end of her video, she goes, I don't really know if any of this will, will relate or speak to any of you. And we all just burst out laughing because she literally said the same thing that we had all just said. So I just want to explain that to you so you know that we are not flippant about what we get up here and speak about. We are being very intentional and we are seeking the Lord and we are taking time to hear what he has to say to all of you. And I believe that is our responsibility, and your responsibility is to receive it and to walk in it. So if you've noticed over the last several months, the theme of all of our series and everybody that's gotten up here has been intimacy with Jesus, intimacy with the Father, 
specifically through our five senses. Now, this became a little hilarious to me recently because um, I guess I have a problem with intimacy. And I'm not talking about sexual intimacy, so get your mind out of the gutter. I'm talking about emotional intimacy. Hey, Jules, I didn't tell you I was going to do this. Can you come up here for a second? Okay. This is my daughter, Jules. I need you as a prop, okay? Okay. So my husband, if, if, you, if you don't know him, if you know him, you get this totally. If you don't know him, he is like the most touchy-feely guy you will ever meet, okay? Love languages, his top love language is touch by like a million percent. I scored zero for touch, so that's interesting. But one of the things that he does is he will look, I'll, I'll look up and he's just looking me in the eye. He's looking me in the eye and I'll look for like three seconds and then I look away. And then I look back and he's still looking me in the eye. I look away. And he'll do that for like three minutes. And that is so uncomfortable. <laughs> and it's my husband. So I think I, I might have a slight problem with some intimacy. But the reason I think that the Lord is so hilarious is because a few months ago, I had to go to the chiropractor, and I'm going to get into my story about that in a few minutes, but I had to go to the chiropractor, and there were some concerns that I might have some neurological problems. And so he was going to do all of these tests on me to find out how my brain was doing. And the very first one he does is he puts me in a headlock like this. Look up at me. And he says, Heather, count, look me in the eye, do not look away, and count backwards from not three, 20. <laughs> do it. 20, 19, 18, 17, 16, 15, 14, 13, <laughs> I got all the way done with that, and he said, okay. Do it again on this side. <laughs> Look me in the eye. Count backwards from 20. So not only am I locked in a headlock from this chiropractor, he is making me look him in the eyes and count backwards from 20. Thank you, Jules. <laughs> I went home and told my husband about that, and he was like, what? You wouldn't even do that for me. I'm like, I know, clearly I have a problem. So I want to share a little bit of what the Lord's been doing in my life and what's been going on in my life over the past few months. And not just to fill you in on me because that part doesn't matter. But because I believe so fully that what the Lord has allowed in my life over this last season, he's partially allowed so I could bring it to all of you also. He's allowed it for two reasons. The first one is to refine me, to purify me, because there were some things in my life that I needed stripped out of me. And the second was so that he could do the same for you. That through my testimony, Jesus would do the same thing again for you. See, the Lord is preparing his church. He is preparing his church, the bride. We are the bride of Christ. He is preparing us for his coming. 
And if you've ever been a bride or you've ever been around a bride, you know a little bit about this, right? Brides prepare themselves. They go into preparation, not just for the wedding, but for themselves. They take extra special care of themselves, more intentionally leading up to the wedding. Because that dress, it better fit. Brides pay a lot of attention to themselves in preparation. And in the midst of my journey over these last few months, I felt the Lord tell me very clearly. He said it several times. He said, I need a pure and spotless bride. I don't just want it. I need it. I need a pure and spotless bride. The church is the bride. You are the bride of Christ. We as the believers are the bride of Christ. He needs a bride that is awake and alert and full of energy and ready to go. He needs a bride that is prepared, whose oil lamps are full, who has made herself ready. But I'm a little worried that the bride right now might be the opposite of that. I'm a little worried that the bride right now might be slumbering. That the bride is worn down. That the bride is numb. And that the bride is kind of checked out. The world sure is that way. And I think maybe the bride might be too. And I have to ask myself, how is it that we don't look any different from the world? How is it that we are just as depressed and worn down and discouraged as the world. We are a tired, worn out group of people. But we are a people who should have the joy of the Lord. Oh, the joy of those who take refuge in him. And so I am here today to say, we are the bride of Christ. Let's start living like it. We are the bride of Christ. Let's be prepared to be the bride of Christ. In Revelation 19, the Lord has given John all of these visions. He showed him all these incredible visions. And it's of many things that are still to come. And he sees the end when we are all gathered for a huge wedding feast. Do you know that that's what's to come? It's a wedding feast. Revelation 19.7 says, For the time has come for the wedding feast of the Lamb, and his bride has prepared herself, has made herself ready. We are that bride, and this is what he expects of us. So I want to take a look at one way that we can do that. Back in June, I was reading in 1 John, and I read this passage. And I have to give a shout-out to my sweet little friend, Cash. Because as you'll find out in a few minutes, as I tell you my story, a few months ago, I started not feeling well. And this was Cash's prayer over me. She gave this to me, and I'm keeping it in my Bible until I'm 100% healed. Dear Jesus, we thank you for Heather, and we pray that her head feels better, and we pray for no sickness in Jesus' name, and that she gives me a super big hug, and that Jewel says, I love you, Cashy. In the name of Jesus, I pray, amen. 
Cashy girl, I've kept this in my Bible since you gave it to me, and it's probably going to stay there forever because it reminds me that Jesus is healing me. So 1 John, 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. Do not love this world, nor the things it offers you. Let me repeat that. Do not love this world, nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. That's interesting to me. Because we are called to love people with the love of the Father, right? But if we're so caught up in loving the things of the world, we don't have the Father's love in us. So how in the world are we going to love people with the love of the Father? For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from this world. And this world is fading away along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. So when I was reading that back in June, that word crave just jumped off of the page at me. I immediately made a note about it in my Bible. And I honestly could not stop thinking about that for weeks. Just kept playing over and over in my mind. And I heard the Lord say this. Sometimes we crave what we are deficient in. And sometimes we crave what we have indulged in. I'm going to say that again. Sometimes we crave what we are deficient in, what we are in need of. And sometimes we crave what we have overindulged in, what we've consumed too much of. So about a month or so after the Lord showed me this verse, we had our vision team meeting. And as I mentioned earlier, we were given this, this theme for the next season about intimacy with Jesus and specifically through our five senses. Well, crave fit perfectly into that narrative. So I added this to the list of series ideas that would go up on our big whiteboard during our teaching team meeting. And in early August, the teaching team chose this series, Crave. Holly, can you put that logo up there? chose this series and it was slated to begin today, November 6th, and I was scheduled to preach in it, first installment of Crave. I had no idea from August to now what the Lord was going to require me to go, to go through before I could stand up here and give this message today. And I'd like to share that story with you right now. So in June, I started getting these really strange headaches. And I remember the exact day that they started. We were coming home from a lake day with my sisters and cousins, and we'd had a super fun day. And my son was driving because he was getting all of his driver's ed hours. And um, Bennett, that is not what gave you the headaches, although I'm sure it contributed. <laughs> not because you're a bad driver, just because that is not my favorite job in the world. People get, that choose to do that for a career, 
They are crazy people. So I remember driving home and all of a sudden this like searing, burning pain started shooting up the back of my head. And I remember thinking, wow, I've never felt that pain before. What is, what is that? Maybe it's because I was in the sun. I don't know. I, maybe I have a brain eating amoeba or whatever those are you get from the lakes. You know, I'm like, what, what is happening? June 22nd was the first time I realized, I, I recognized that pain in my head. Here's something that's so interesting, though. Around the same time, I don't think it was the exact same day, but I'm pretty sure it was the same week that those headaches started is when the Lord showed me this crave verse. Listen, he was showing me the answer at the moment that I was first experiencing the symptoms of my problem. But I didn't see this until months later. He is so faithful to so often put the answer right in front of us. But we're so often too distracted to see it. We're too distracted by our problem. We're too distracted by the pain. And we miss that he had already given me the answer. So these headaches continued. They got progressively worse. I remember telling my friend Rochelle, we were in Branson, Missouri at the end of July or the beginning of July and I remember we were walking to the pool and I was like man I don't know I'm just getting these weird headaches and they're really bothering me and as we were driving home that week from Branson I started to feel really bad like sick and that continued through July and by the end of August I was in constant pain 24 7 awake or asleep my whole back and neck and shoulders were locked up like a tight tight granite piece of stone. I had major fatigue. I had no energy. My son loves to go play disc golf and we would go and play as a family and we would literally just be walking on flat ground. There wouldn't even be a hill and I'd be like, I'm so tired. I don't think I can throw this disc. And that, that wasn't like me. I, I worked out. I was, I was healthy. We'd be sitting on the couch, and all of a sudden, I'd be like, and I'd try to catch my breath, and I couldn't. And I'd, I'd have to take these big, deep breaths just to feel like I could breathe enough to fill my lungs. And I was ready to throw in the towel. I was ready to say, that's it. I cannot keep leading these people. I cannot keep leading a church. All those big dreams that Chris and I have, I'm not going to be able to do any of it. I had lost hope that I was going to be able to continue to do the things that God had called me to do. I was worn down. I was exhausted. I was run over. I was numb. And my close friends and family, they were so loving. And they prayed over me and prayed over me and checked in and anointed me with oil and laid their hands on me. And I would come here on Thursdays and on Sundays and I would kneel or I would lay on this carpet and I would ask God to heal me. And, and I would say, God, like, is there something you need to reveal to me in my life? Is there something that I need to confess so that I can get free of this pain? I need free of this pain. And I didn't get a miraculous healing. I thought I was going to get a miraculous healing. Every time I would come and some other awesome prayer warrior, some person of God would come up and lay their hands on me and prophesy over me and anoint my head with oil, I would be like, today's the day. Today's the day that I'm going to get my healing and I'm going to be pain-free. And it didn't come. 
I thought, Lord, you're going to do this. You're going to heal me, and then you're going to put me right back into the place that I had been, healthy and energetic and taking on the world. But listen, my father loves me too much to take me back to where I was. Your father loves you too much to not help you out of your pit that you might not even know you're in. He loves me too much to not allow me to go through a wilderness season to get some of the junk that I didn't even know was in there stripped out of me. I knew I needed some help to figure out what was wrong with me. I'm not traditionally a um, traditional medical type of person. In my family growing up, we didn't even go to doctors because we believed just in divine healing. I do believe that doctors have a gift from the Lord and, and God has given them wisdom and we go to doctors now. But because of the way that I had grown up, I, I was like, I just don't feel like going to a medical doctor is the right path for me right now. And so I made an appointment with an old friend of ours who was the chiropractor, the one who made me stare him in the eyes and count back from 20. Yeah, him. <laughs> and I spent the next two months going to him once and twice a week. And he helped me a lot. He relieved the tension in my, in my muscles and my back and my neck. He, he taught me how to breathe properly. He taught me how I was breathing improperly. But there was still something wrong. I was so tired. I had no energy, and I still had constant, terrible head pain. So he asked after a couple of months, he said, would you be willing to consult with this other doctor who works right next to him? And I was like, yes, absolutely. I will do whatever you tell me to do. I will do it. So two months ago, I began seeing this wonderful woman who is also a chiropractor, but she's a functional medicine doctor as well. She is incredible. The first time that I left her office, she sat and talked to me for an hour. She listened to all of the things that I had to say. And when I left her office, it was the first time that I felt hope of feeling better in over three months. But it came with a cost. See, the very first thing that she asked me to do was go on a super restricted diet. Years and years and years of stress, of ministry. I have done ministry since I was 14 years old, and I'm about to be 44, so I've done ministry for almost 30 years. Of caring for everyone else, of carrying the burdens that were not mine to carry, of forgetting to take care of myself, all of those things had built up in my system and had put me into adrenal fatigue. My body, your body has a fight or a flight mode. My body had stopped fighting and it was running away. I said, nope, not doing this anymore. And so to cope with all that stress, I had indulged in the things that made me feel better, but I had no idea I was doing it. No clue. I would do more. I would serve more. I didn't set healthy boundaries with people in the name of loving them and serving them. 
and I would fill my body with things that just made me feel better in the moment, namely sugar and carbs. And those sugar and carbs had fed yeast infections in my gut that had kept me unhealthy and unable to process nutrients and vitamins and minerals that my body needed. And this had probably been going on for years. My doctor said, Heather, this this isn't a result of 18 months. This is a result of decades of abusing yourself. And the stress and the bad eating habits had shut down my body. And I really didn't even think it was an issue. I wasn't like sitting around eating ho-hos and ding-dongs all day long. Like, I don't even like those kinds of things. But I did eat whatever I wanted whenever I wanted it. And I did use it to make myself feel better. And I didn't even know it was an issue. I had no idea that I was indulging in things that were bad for me to cope. And that was making me sick. I remember very clearly that first day I had been really busy with school with my kids and a bunch of other things that were going on. And I went driving into Morton to go see this doctor and I hadn't had time to eat breakfast. And I thought, well, I'll just, when I'm done there, I'll just go swing through Starbucks and I'll get a latte and I'll get one of those good egg sandwiches with the cheese. And I walked out of her office that day and realized I couldn't go do that. I could no longer use that as a way to cope. So when I walked out of her office, I was put on this super restricted diet, no sugar, no grains, no dairy, no coffee, no alcohol, no treats. I drove home, I crawled in my bed, and I sobbed my eyes out because it felt like the most overwhelming thing in the whole world. When you go in thinking they'll say, here's your problem and here's a fix, and instead they say, here's your problem and this is the hard work that you have to do to fix it, it is a wake-up call. Some of you are waiting for an easy button. When there's not an easy button, it's called hard work that you have to do. It felt very isolating. At the very beginning of all of this, suddenly, Friday nights with my best friends and Sunday lunches with many of you and date nights with my husband made me feel completely alone, even from my family, because my family was still eating all the things that they were allowed to eat. I felt all alone. And it feels kind of silly to say that now, feels silly to say that out loud, but they were very real feelings that I had. But while those feelings were real, they were unhealthy feelings. See, the idea that happiness with my friends on a Friday night was based on what I was eating or drinking rather than on the people that I was with is crazy. That is an unhealthy feeling. My feelings were lying to me about what the truth was. It was making me believe that I was all alone when the truth is that the people that loved me the most were still right there by me. 
So it's been five weeks now since I've been on this food protocol. And let me tell you, if I had to go back and do it all over again, I 1,000% would. Because of what the Lord has been so kind to show me in all of it. And I know that five weeks is such a tiny amount of time, especially for some of you that have been on certain uh, protocols, food protocols for decades or years. I get that this is a very short amount of time, but what I believe the Lord did was expedite my experience so that I could bring it to you so you could begin to also walk in freedom. I had no idea that I was addicted to food as a way to cope. I had no idea that I was addicted to caring for other people and neglecting myself. I had no idea that my boundaries were superficial. I had no idea that I was deficient in the things that would keep me strong. And with, within a week and a half of eating differently, I started to feel different. I started to feel my energy come back. I stopped taking naps every day. My mind began to be more clear. And I once again had hope that I would be able to spend decades more serving alongside my husband to build the kingdom of God. And the changes weren't just physical. They were so, so spiritual too. Chris says this all the time, and I, I believe it. The spiritual affects the physical, and the physical affects the spiritual. What God is doing in the spirit, spiritual realm, you will see manifest in the physical realm. And what is happening in your physical life, you will see manifest in your spiritual life. Because I was so numb from stress and indulgence in the wrong things, I was having a hard time hearing the, hearing the voice of the Lord or really even desiring to try to hear the voice of the Lord. I still believed. I was just stagnant. I was numb. There was no new growth in me. I was living on the things from before. I wasn't receiving new revelation. During this season, I also took a six-week sabbatical from all ministry. And the beauty of this church and the beauty of the structure we have is that I could do this without everything imploding. It's because the body of Christ is supposed to work this way. It does not rest on one person. And when one is down, others step in and fill the gaps. And that's what so many of you did so beautifully for me. And I thank you for that. I am not 100% healed yet, but I am so close. We are still working on some adrenal fatigue issues and getting these headaches totally gone, but Rochelle laid her hands on me and prayed on Thursday night, and I think I've only had two of them since Thursday night. So I want to point out some of the lessons that I've learned in hopes that some of this will also resonate with you. See, my story is about food and drink and busyness and stress and not setting correct boundaries. But indulgence can be anything. Indulgence can be your work, your sexuality. Indulgence can look like your hobbies or your children. You can be indulged in your children and completely missing what God has for you. Indulgence can look like TV shows, streaming, 
social media, video games. Indulgence can be your grief or your wounds. Indulgence can be bitterness and negativity. Indulgence can be self-pity and selfishness. So I don't know what it is that you indulge in, but I know that God wants to set you free from it because he is looking for a bride that is ready and prepared. When you indulge in junk, what's real and nourishing doesn't taste as good. When you indulge in junk, you lose your appetite for what is good. I want you to think about this just for a second. When you're listening to the world's chatter, the media, the news, what people are saying, and you've consumed and filled your mind with it, this is like, eh. You're not going to get much out of this if you're indulging in what the world is saying. God's word will satisfy you when you cut out the world's chatter. Listen, I, I got such a clear picture of this with food. When I cut out all the food that was so bad for me, real food began to taste amazing. And my family is probably so tired of me saying, like, this tastes so good. I mean, listen, at first I was kicking and screaming, and I was not happy about it at all. I never in a million years would have thought that I could eat a plain burger with nothing on it and think it tasted as good as a milkshake. But it did. Because that's what happens when you cut out the junk. When you cut out what is not nourishing your body. Number two, when we're indulging in what the world offers, we don't crave what God offers. We crave more of the world. So if you're, if you're ingesting all of the things of the world, <laughs> you're most likely not going to want to come and sit in his presence and soak in his presence on a Thursday night. Because it doesn't line up with what you're craving, which is more of the world. You'd rather stay at home and watch your show for three hours and become numb to what God has asked you to be and who he's asked you to be instead of come and sit in his presence. Number three, what the world offers numbs our senses. What God offers awakens our senses. He desires for us to have the fullness of him, not just little pieces, little injections here and there. I want to read through some verses that talk about our five senses. The first is one that we already read, taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste, have a bite. Taste what he has to offer and see his goodness. 
Psalm 27, 13 says, yet I am confident that I will see the Lord's goodness while I am here in the land of the living. He doesn't reserve that for heaven for a long time from now. He says, I will see his goodness now in my life. Mark 4, 24 says, pay close attention to what you hear. The closer you listen, the more understanding you will be given and you will receive even more. And Mark 16 says, these miraculous signs will accompany those who believe. They will be able to place their hands, touch their hands on the sick, and guess what? They will be healed. And 2 Corinthians 2.14 says, though our yielded lives, when we've stepped away from the things of the world, Through our yielded lives, he spreads the fragrance, the smell of the knowledge of God everywhere we go. We have become, we have become the unmistakable aroma of the victory of the anointed one of God. During this season, I was asking the Lord, make me more alert to all, with all of my senses to your presence, God. And one of the things I was specifically asking him was, would you help me smell your presence? And I didn't know what that meant. But I knew that scripture said we could smell his presence and there was an aroma of his presence. And so last Sunday I was sitting right there And Dalton, you were up here on stage, and I could feel, I could hear, and I could feel the presence of God stirring. And all of a sudden, this amazing smell just passed right in front of me. And it was like five seconds, and I was like, what What was that? And I looked around because I thought maybe somebody with really great perfume had just walked by me and Lauren was sitting behind me and a few weeks ago she had had a cup of tea and she was like you've got to smell this this smells so good and so I text her I'm like do you have that tea here again she was like no I don't it was the aroma of God's presence passing in front of me the Lord allowed me to smell his presence and can I tell you is the best smell I have ever smelled in my entire life More of that, Lord. Let us smell your presence. Let us taste you. Let us feel you. Let us hear you. The Lord will awaken your senses to him. He will when you get rid of the junk in your life. So as I begin to close today, I want to show you in scripture What the Lord says about three words that kept coming up as I prepared this message. There were three words that I couldn't stop thinking about. And I felt like the Lord said, teach them these. The words are indulgence, which we talked a lot about, abundance, and feasting. And I'm going to kind of breeze through these because there's a lot, but they'll be on the screen. So I would suggest that you snap a picture of that and then go dig back into these on your own this week because there is a lot in here that the Lord wants to reveal to you as you turn your face towards him. So what does the Bible say about indulgence? There are lots of different things that we can get caught up in in indulging, but Proverbs 23, 4 says, don't wear yourself out trying to get rich. Be wise enough to know when to quit. Proverbs 23, 13 and 14. 
don't fail to discipline your children. Physical discipline may well save them from death. Proverbs 23, 21. Don't live in the excesses of drunkenness or gluttony or waste your life away by partying all the time because drunkards and gluttons sleep their lives away and end up broke. Philippians 3. For I have told you often before, and I say it again with tears in my eyes, there are many whose conduct shows that they are really enemies of the cross. They are headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite. They brag about shameful things, and they think only about this life here right now on earth. But we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives, and we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior, as the bride of Christ. And then the next word is abundance. One of the very first thoughts that I had when I started going through all of this as I was kicking and screaming about all the foods that I had to give up. God didn't mean for us to live a, a life of scarcity. That's not how he intended for us to live. He meant for us to live a life of abundance. I shouldn't have to give up all these things because God has called us to live an abundant life. And man, did I have an attitude about it. And that's right. He didn't. God didn't call us to live a life of scarcity. He did call us to live an abundant life. But in that moment, my definition of scarcity was actually his definition of sacrifice. Mine was self-indulgence based. His was a necessary sacrifice that had an eternal purpose. God does desire for us to live an abundant life as long as that abundance lines up with his nature and not the world's. So here's what the Bible has to say about abundance. Because listen, I've just dumped a lot on you. I've given you like a gut check message right now, but I'm about to bring it around to some real good news. I'm about to bring it around to the thing that's going to set you free today. John 10.10 says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. And Proverbs 3 says, don't be impressed with your own wisdom. Instead, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Turn away from the thing you're indulging in. Then you will have healing for your body and strength for your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the best parts of everything you produce. Then he will fill your barns with grain and your vats will overflow with good wine. And Philippians 4.19 says, My God, my God will supply every need that you have according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus because he owns it all. He has it all. And the last one I want to talk to you about is feasting. See, God came up with feasting. He created it. He designed us to feast. He did not design us to live limited lives. And the Old and the New Testament are full of feasts. They feasted all the time. They had feasts for everything. 
That was part of their worship to the Lord. Chris said it earlier, Psalm 23, verse 5 says, You prepare a feast for me, not in some safe little bunker. No, in the presence of my enemies. That passage starts out saying, though I've walked through the valley of the shadow of death, though I've gone through a ton of crap in my lives, though my body is sick, my mind is sick, my grief is overwhelming, though I've gone through all that, the Lord prepares a feast for you and your enemies have to sit and watch you eat it. In Isaiah, Isaiah is prophesying about what is to come? And it says, in Jerusalem, the Lord of heaven's armies will spread a wonderful feast for all the people of the world. That is going to be a big table. It will be a delicious banquet with clear, well-aged wine and choice meat. There he will remove the cloud of gloom, the shadow of death that hangs over the earth. Come on, Lord. We are waiting for that day. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away all tears. Listen to this one. He will remove forever all insults and mockery against his land and his people. The Lord has spoken. That will be a feast and then for right now, Ecclesiastes 3 says this. So I concluded that there is nothing better than to be happy and to enjoy ourselves as long as we can. And people should eat and drink and enjoy the fruits of their labor for these are gifts from God. God designed us to feast. Feasting wasn't just made for heaven, it's for us here and now, and we are called to feast and called to live abundant lives and prepare ourselves to be the pure and spotless bride. But in order for some of you to do that, there may be some things you need to quit indulging in. This isn't a, you can eat this and you can't eat that, or you can do this, but you can't do that. This is not a list like that. That's called religion. That's called legalism, and we do not line up with that. We walk in freedom. This is actually about purification of your life. This is about the Holy Spirit speaking to you individually and, and convicting you on the thing that you've overindulged in that's keeping you from being the pure and spotless bride. And what it is for me might be very different than what it is for you. But this is what I heard the Lord say. He gave me this for you for today. Confess the things you've been indulging in that are keeping you from knowing the fullness of me. It's that simple. Just confess it. Just admit it. Confess it. Tell the Lord. I know he's stirring already in your heart. You know what it is. You know the things that are going on. And then he says, lay it down. Do not pick it back up. Lay it down and leave it there. He says, I will fill the void with more joy, with more purpose and passion and provision than you can even imagine. And once you've laid that thing down, come and feast with me. Lay it down, leave it there at the foot of the cross where Jesus already paid for it and come and feast with him.
See, communion is first confession and then communion. That's how it goes. We confess, we leave it, and we go and we dine with him. We feast with him. We taste the goodness of the Lord. The Lord does not want you to sit in your shame and guilt. He doesn't want you to beat yourself up over that thing. He says, confess it, let it go, then come and fill your plate and feast with me. So that's how we're going to end today. We're going to have a moment for you to confess, for you to just speak with the Lord. Have the Holy Spirit stir some things up in your heart that he's already probably showing you. And then you're going to come up here and you're going to fill your plate with all of this goodness. And you're going to have communion with him as he restores you and he renews you. And he says, you are my child and I want you to be the pure and spotless bride that is ready for me. And we're going to see the joy of the Lord in the land of the living right now today. So the band's going to begin to play. I'm going to pray. And then as you're ready, you come up and you fill your plate and you do whatever the Holy Spirit is telling you to do. And then when you walk out those doors, there's going to be some work to do. It doesn't end here. There's probably some things you need to cut out. There's probably some things you need to step into so that you can stop indulging in the things of the world and start indulging in the things of the Lord. Father, we thank you that you are so kind to us. We thank you, Lord, that your presence goes before us and behind us and all around us. We thank you that you love us too much not to leave us in the place of our pit, not to leave us in a place where we're numb, not to leave us in a place where we're complacent, not to leave us in a place where sin is overwhelming us. Your goodness, your goodness and your kindness, Lord, is what prepares us to be able to see you face to face. So right now in these moments, Holy Spirit, do what only you can do. Impart what only you can impart. I pray over every heart and mind right here in this room, God, and I pray that today will be a marking point. Just like I was able to point back to, to dates in my journey that I knew the Lord was speaking, that I knew the Lord was trying to wake me up to things. May this be a marking point. An altar set up today for so many in this place. We love you, Jesus, and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.